Previously on Tulsa's Buried Truth, within 16 hours, the Greenwood District is decimated. And we have a number of very credible eyewitnesses who say that the planes dropped incendiary devices on the community bombs. As this once thriving community seeks to regain its former glory, integration is creating opportunities for some and hardship in the neighborhood known as Black Wall Street. That just struck a blow to these surviving family institutions that they simply could not recover from again. And a century after a culture of silence began to erase the massacre from history. It was a dark part of their past that they wanted to bury. Some Tulsans are determined to unearth the truth. I'm Sunny Hostin, and this is Tulsa's Buried Truth. Here's ABC's Steve Osinsami. Those are the sounds from the opening scenes of HBO's award-winning superhero drama, Watchmen. The series is set in Tulsa, Oklahoma. You see black families trying to get away from gunmen in white hoods who are shooting them dead in the street. It's tough to watch. You're going to go attacking Lydia and they're going to get you someplace safe. Are you telling the truth? Watchmen aired for the first time in 2019. You had Hollywood telling the story about the race massacre. A year later, the HBO horror drama Lovecraft Country did the same. These productions made a point to underline one unbelievable part of the story, that there were as many as six single-engine planes raining down bullets and dropping bombs on Greenwood. So these television shows, they're really trying to tell this part of the story. That's pretty obvious. But what about this baseline? It's from the song You Dropped a Bomb on Me by The Gap Band. And the rumor is that this hit single from 1982 is about the bombing of Black Wall Street. The song is one of the biggest hits from Ronnie, Robert, and Charlie Wilson, who make up the band. They're brothers and were born and raised in Tulsa. What's up, y'all? This is Charlie Wilson, Sir Charles. The great Charlie Wilson is the lead singer. I was very fortunate to speak with him, and I asked about that rumor. So I got to ask you, does that song have anything to do with the massacre of 1921? No. Oh! Mr. Wilson told me that the only bombs they were writing about were ones filled with love. But he says he's not bothered by people getting this wrong. The, the Drop the Bomb song is back in, in circulation again. I, I, I'm so happy about that. It's bringing attention back to the race ride. In fact, he says the band chose its name, the initials GAP, to tip their hat to Greenwood, which was their home, known best by the streets of Greenwood, Archer, and Pine. So we decided to take on that name because we knew we was going to go all over the world, at least I did. <laughs> I knew we was going to go all over the world and it would have, we'd have to talk about that. When the band was touring in the 1980s, he told me they would often try to share the story of the massacre as they were promoting their albums. Well, people were just kind of looking at us like, are you sure? I've never heard this story before. So, I mean, you know, even that we told the story a lot of times, nobody really responded to it because they just never heard 
of the story, you know, because he was forbidden to talk about it. He told us about a woman from his childhood who survived the massacre and treated him like family. Her name was Lucille Figures. She was born 1909, January the 9th. She was just 12 years old when the mob came tearing through Greenwood. She said her mother told her to go out the back door and run and don't stop and don't look back at nothing. Lucille, don't ever look back. She said, okay, and she ran off. And, uh, and, and her and her sister is in the house. They all ran. And she lived the longest. He says Miss Figures was 104 when she died in 2013. And this is the first time he's telling her story to the world. She told me everything. She said they tried to interview her. She said they kept coming to me, trying to get me to do interviews. But, you know, they, she watched people die and getting shot. So she, she was to never speak about it. She told me a lot of things, but she made me promise. Don't ever speak about what I told you until I, I'm go, I've gone. It's now as clear as day that the history books failed in their duty to tell the story of the airplanes that attacked Greenwood from the skies. People hearing about this today still have trouble believing this is true. But Eldoris Macondachi was there. The bullets were just raining down over us. Like so many who survived, she was afraid for her life to tell her story. But she found the courage to record her truth in the 1990s. This airplanes was up, just raining down the bullets, and I could see them, and I heard She was nine years old when she heard the screams of the single-engine planes flying low into Greenwood. And I was so frightened, I pulled away from my parents and ran into this chicken coop with all the other people. And I got into the corner of that, just scared as I could be. Eldoris McCondachi died in 2010. But by complete coincidence, I met her granddaughter during my first visit to Greenwood earlier this year. She was having lunch and saw me and a camera crew on the sidewalk. She ran out to see what was going on. I'm Joy McCondachi. I'm one of the descendants, and I just came over to be nosy. Oh, you are? So you said you're one of the descendants? Yeah, my grandmother, Eldoris. Oh, really? Growing up, she says her grandmother kept the story of the massacre to herself. But then, her grandmother's picture showed up in the newspaper. And there she is on the front page of the Los Angeles Times ah. with the caption of City's Berry Shame. And, there, and there's my grandmother. That was the first you heard about this? Of the, of the complete story, yes. Besides. She immediately got on a plane and flew from Los Angeles to Tulsa to get the full story from her grandmother face coop. to face. So when, before they were about to bomb the chicken coop, my great-grandfather ran in there and found her. And she was in the corner, kind of huddled. You know, she's a kid. And she's huddled in the corner, and, and she grabbed her by the hand and said, Come on, Eldoris, we got to get out of here. And that's, that's the real story behind what she was doing in the chicken coop. She was escaping the bullets. How did you feel about all of it? Our first immediate reaction was dismay. You know, that, wow, is this true? You know, Grandma, is this really true? She was hearing the ugly details of this story for the first time in 1999. And in and around that year, the mystery of what happened to Black Wall Street started getting much more interest. In fact, it was another tragedy in Oklahoma 
that got people talking a little more about what happened in Greenwood. In the awful catalog of America's most tragic events, Oklahoma is perhaps best known for what happened here in 1995. The enormous explosion at a federal building in Oklahoma City this morning was the work of terrorists. The bomb went off just as hundreds of people had showed up for work. Just as When a terrorist bombed the Alfred P. Murrah Federal Building in Oklahoma City, there were many people here who thought it was the deadliest act of domestic terrorism in the state. But there was one black lawmaker who pointed out that this wasn't the first time Oklahoma was bombed. The state put together a commission to investigate the massacre. The commission had a number of goals, but the biggest was to find the truth about what happened. And this meant getting to the bottom of those rumors about mass graves somewhere underneath Tulsa. Brenda Alford has lived here her whole life and has heard those rumors since she was a child. I am the granddaughter of Black Wall Street entrepreneurs and race massacre survivors, James and Bassinora Nails Sr. Uh, and they, along with my great uncle Henry Nails, were the proud owners of the Nails Brothers Shoe Shop and Record Shop that was located at 120. She says she remembers her grandparents and their friends talking about people who disappeared and were never found family members would come to town to visit. Usually uh, we would pass by Oakland Cemetery and the comment would always be made, you know they're still over there. And everyone in the car would agree. And as a little kid, I didn't know any questions to ask, whatever, but I always kind of wondered what's over there. Because as a child... Miss Alford is now part of a committee created in 2019 that's trying to uncover the truth. She's working to find the lost remains of victims believed to have been buried with no funerals, no death certificates, without any official records. Unfortunately, I've had to piece our story together bit by bit, but it has been quite the journey. And I, I tell you, I'm, I'm so grateful to be on it. it. It's a continuous journey, one that I'll probably be on the rest of my life. But it is That journey began with difficult public meetings, like this recent one, with Tulsa's mayor and the committee. The committee includes state lawmakers like Regina Goodwin, whose family survived the massacre. I'm muted and I'm just trying to speak. I really am trying to speak and I'm being muted. No one's okay? muting you. Yes, yeah, someone was muting me. And, and Everyone is arguing over where to dig for bodies and what to do with any remains that are found. But what we're doing is so outside the box of how the systems normally work because it is 100 years later. You see, Oklahoma has laws about moving the dead that are making things a bit complicated. For example, if remains are discovered, they can't be tested or moved without the permission of a family member. And that's nearly impossible to get when you can't yet identify the body. It's red tape. And the families who've been waiting for answers, like State Representative Goodwin, are tired of it. It was not complaining. It was a matter of expressing concern on what's been happening the last two years. So if you look at that as complaining, I, I think that's unfortunate. Let me say this, though, Mayor. No one wants to argue. No one. The mayor's been getting a lot of grief at these meetings. But, you know, he's the one who actually pushed the city to move forward with trying to find the missing bodies a few years ago. You can hear how frustrated he's getting with some of the criticism. Okay, so last meeting... Your complaint was that the city brings you three options and asks you to pick and doesn't want your opinion. 
this meeting, the argument is that the city is asking you for your opinion and not just telling you what we're going to do. All we're trying to do is figure, we're asking the community what you want to do. But he says he understands the lack of trust. I think it's unfortunate that there's suspicion about the city's motives. But if I'm going to be honest, when you're a city government that waits 99 years to try and find murder victims, then I don't blame people for questioning our motives. In one of the reports from the state commission that looked into the massacre 20 years ago, investigators identified three places in Tulsa where they might find mass graves. Historian Scott Ellsworth was one of the people who helped write the report. He believes if it weren't for the 100th anniversary that's coming up, city leaders wouldn't be looking that hard for the dead. There's no question that this was something the city wanted to do as a part of its commemoration of of what happened in 1921. There's also no question that this is going to take a while. It's certainly going to take a while, but they are looking. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Have you ever wondered what you'd do with an extra hour in your day? Would you go for a run, take a nap, read a book, or maybe show up for a friend? We often find ourselves wishing for more time, but the real question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The key to squeezing that special thing into your schedule is knowing what's truly important to you and making it a priority. That's where therapy comes in. It's not just about dealing with problems. It's about finding what matters to you so you can do more of it. If you've tried therapy, you know how beneficial it can be. Therapy isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. It's a tool for learning positive coping skills, setting boundaries, and empowering yourself to be the best version of you. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist. And the best part? You can switch therapists at any time at no additional charge. So whether it's finding that extra hour for yourself or embarking on a journey of self-discovery, therapy can be a game changer. Take the first step with BetterHelp and make your mental health a priority. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com Reclaimed to get 10% off your first month. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot Reclaimed. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need and the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts. Right 
On most days, it's quiet at Tulsa's Oaklawn Cemetery. But not this day. It's July 2020. Bulldozers are tearing through the earth. There are news cameras here from around the world. And curious people are walking by, offering their two cents on what's going on. Across the city, there are some people who think the crews will find something, and many others who don't. The mayor speaks to that divide when he talks with reporters. You know, I've already fallen into the trap of saying, well, there's no way there could have been a race massacre in Tulsa. I would have heard about it and was proven wrong on that. So I'm not going to make that same mistake again and think that just because something is so terrible that there's no way it could have happened. There may not be mass graves. Uh, but we won't know unless we look. And if He says they need to treat the area as a potential crime scene. One of the challenges of this search is that these are not people who were murdered last year. These are people who were murdered 99 years ago. The scientists doing the digging give regular updates. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, I'm uh, Phoebe Stubblefield, still the forensic anthropologist, and uh, we are in day three still seeing... uh, Dr. Stubblefield is a forensic anthropologist from the University of Florida. She's also a black woman whose family is from Tulsa. She knows the frustration families here feel about how long it's taken to get to this point. The team of scientists she's part of is using penetrating radar and other tools to find bones. So far, they're not finding much. So uh, animal bones is all we're recovering, still consistent with the type of mixture of human activity-based soil layers. So nothing new has shown up uh, in as far as... It's slow going, but then they think they find something, perhaps a clue buried deep in the dirt. It's a pair of old shoes, and they wonder if they were left here around the time of the massacre. Carrie Stackelbeck, an archaeologist from the University of Oklahoma, gives the briefing that day. Um, this case, we had these, this pair of shoes that seemed to have been laid on that surface. <coughs> that was quite different than what we were seeing elsewhere. Again, context means everything. So for us, that was actually a really good sign. We determined but the shoes don't get them anywhere. They dig deeper and find nothing. They dig at a second location, not that far away. Nothing there either. About a week later, they call an end to the dig. Scott Ellsworth, who was at the dig site during the search, still believes some of the missing bodies could be there. You know, for starters, we found funeral home records 20 years ago that proved that local white funeral homes had not only had they buried identified and unidentified African-American massacre victims in Oaklawn Cemetery, but they had also charged the city of Tulsa for, for burying them. They're not giving up. They schedule another dig in October in another section of Oaklawn Cemetery. The bulldozers arrive on October 19th. And then, a few days later, Dr. Stackelbeck comes to the cameras with major news. 
Thank you, everyone, for being here this afternoon. So um, today I have uh, the opportunity to report to you that we have now encountered human remains. And basically, the, what we were finding was an indication that we were inside a large area, a big excavation area, um, a large hole that had been excavated and into which several individuals um, have been placed inside of coffins and buried in that location. This constitutes a mass grave. So at this point in time, I can confirm that we have identified the outlines of at least 10 coffins uh, based on the back hill excavation. They ended up finding 12 coffins. They also found what looked like stairs, which would have made it easier to move bodies in and out. What we do know as of today is that there is a mass grave in Oaklawn Cemetery where we have no record of anyone being buried. That is where we are. For the city of Tulsa, this was a little bit of proof that all of those things people have been saying about missing bodies all these years, they just might be true. And I'm thankful for the citizens of Tulsa uh, who have reversed nearly a century of the conventional wisdom of this being something that we don't want to talk about and that we just want to put behind us and pretend like it never happened. This generation of Tulsans is not doing that. Tulsa's mayor was making good on some of his promises to the families of victims. Those families who have gone for 99 years with no idea where uh, their family members were, we are a step closer today to having uh, the ability to tell them that. Standing right beside the mayor was Brenda Alford, who was on the committee that helped make this happen. I was absolutely speechless. And that doesn't happen very often. (laughs) Oh my gosh, it was absolutely wonderful. Uh, I I was just so filled with emotion, if you will, uh, to have this happen at this point in time after all of the work that has been done. But the work is really just getting started and it's getting complicated. There are still other areas to search and they think there are many more bodies to be found across the city. These victims have been denied proper burials and it'll take a monumental effort to connect their remains to their families. And it gets even messier. The remains they found can't be identified without help from the families. They would have to give DNA samples. You know, contrary to what you see on TV, there is not some magical DNA database that uh, everyone is in. Uh, And that's one of the real challenges for us over the long haul of this is finding the descendants of these victims who 99 years later are all around the world and trying to match up that DNA is something that can take years. But there are some people here who aren't going to want to give the government their DNA, no matter the reason. They feel that 100 years ago, the authorities were part of the problem, and there's still that feeling today. Recent events haven't helped change that. There was an incident in June of 2020 where two black teenagers were wrongly arrested by Tulsa police. The video went viral on social media and made headlines across the world. In other news, the investigation in Tulsa tonight, the disturbing police confrontation, two white officers stopping two black teenagers for jaywalking. 
During the investigation, the Tulsa Police Department released the police body camera video. I can't breathe. You're fine. I can't breathe. Hey, can you let him go, breathe. sir? Then the former president decided to come to town. President Trump was scheduling one of his famous campaign rallies in the city of Tulsa on Juneteenth, the holiday observed by many Black Americans. It celebrates the day in June when American slaves were set free. President Trump changed his plans, but Black Tulsans were still offended. Go home, People here ended up confronting the president's supporters in the streets. And this is where the demonstration has filled the streets. You have Black Lives Matter protesters facing off with Trump supporters here. This was also the summer that brought us the police killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis. Who can forget his cries of, I can't breathe? All of these events were getting Black Americans to raise their voices in the fight for equality across this country and in Tulsa. And for all these reasons and more, the families of survivors of the massacre here in Tulsa really want to talk about reparations. That includes Miss Joy McCondichie. She's the woman who came up to me on the street to see what was going on. She's a little woman with a big voice, and she's not afraid to use it. Tell it right. Tell it, tell it, tell it, tell it right. She lives in Tulsa now and told me that she appreciates the news reporters like me, the Hollywood film crews, and everyone else coming to town. But she says none of this is helping surviving families like hers. She says she knows why we're here. The summer of 2021 will mark 100 years since the massacre. They've got big events planned. Dinners, conferences, ribbon cuttings. As we walk around, she tells me there's money pouring in. And the bottom line is, I mean, if you want to go bottom line, yeah, what is it? Then, then the bottom line is my great-grandparents who built Wall Street, they didn't get any money. My grandmother, who's in the Smithsonian Institute, with her story, she didn't get any money. My father, rest in peace, he didn't get any money. I didn't get any money. So a hundred years, and, 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 and a point of clarification on the definition of commemoration, because all this Hotel Motel Holiday Inn, that's not really commemorating my grandmother to me. So I planned... To- She's talking about the shiny new buildings going up in Greenwood. And as part of the effort to memorialize the massacre, city leaders are working with big business to build a new history center right at the corner of Greenwood and Archer. All kinds of corporate donors are giving to the project. This brings the two of us to this other sensitive subject. There are some people who might say that this history center and all the money that's coming in for private industry is mm-hmm. a bit of reparations, that mm-hmm. there's some sort of reparations happening with the history center. Mm-hmm. And so, Steve, that's where I came up with the little phrase I made up. If you don't tell the story, tell the story right and don't tell it white. Telling the story right means a number of things, including talking about the way her city spends money in different neighborhoods. Tell the story right that on this side of town, the bicycle trails are well lit and well manicured. I know because my mother lives over here. But on the black side of town. It hadn't been maintained. And I've been begging them, please, can y'all, can, can we cut down some of the trees? Can we get a light path? And the right story is still, there's no light. 
In North Tulsa is where you'll find most of the city's poverty and unemployment. She says there was a loss of generational wealth after the massacre and that black families of Tulsa never recovered. The only solution, she says, is reparations. Who do you think should pay for reparations in this instance? Let's start with the city and the state. But I noticed while I was talking with her that the only person using the word reparations was me. Because the word reparation is taboo. And so I don't even want to say that word. But it's the core of what we're talking about, the generational wealth. So you, 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 you don't like the word reparations? No, sir. You prefer the word? Love offering. Love offering. Have a love offering. And she knows exactly who should be paid this love offering first. I start with the two living survivors that we know of right here in Oklahoma. I would start with them before they die at 106 years old. You know, she didn't want a big fancy car, but just her general needs. And then after that? My uncle, the the descendants that are older than I, the generation before me, they're getting old. And so, you know, a burial plan or something, I I hate to... But she admits that no matter what you call it, payments to these families are a hard sell. People of today, why should they have to answer for yesterday? Is it fair? Because my son will not have the equal opportunity today that should have been afforded my grandparents then. A state commission that looked into the massacre years ago took her side of things. You see, after the fires and the massacre, the city of Tulsa didn't do much to cover the loss of property. By some estimates, it was about $200 million in today's money. That's according to a study in the American Journal of Economics and Sociology. And the insurers never paid these families a dime. In its 2001 state report, on page 20, in fact, the commissioners wrote that they are certain that reparations are the right thing to do. They really didn't mince words at all, saying that, quote, there are members of this commission who are convinced that there is a compelling argument in law to order that present-day governments make monetary payment for past governments' unlawful acts. And they bring it home with, quote, this is a moral argument. Now, while the idea of reparations has not at all been successful in Tulsa, there does seem to be plenty of money to build the new history center that some of the Black families here don't even think they need. All of this has put the people behind the project in an uncomfortable position. From the renderings posted outside the construction site, you can tell it's going to be a beautiful building. Phil Armstrong is the project director. He took us through the building while it was still under construction. They're calling it Greenwood Rising. Rose from resistance from the Jim Crow era, the segregation, and was successful and thriving. It was decimated, destroyed from the massacre, and it rose again. Um, it had a he sees this as an education center, and it sits right at the entrance to the Greenwood neighborhood, across from the street signs and the brick mural that tell you this is Black Wall Street. He wants this to be a state-of-the-art audiovisual tribute to the victims of the massacre. The, the, the final exhibit's called The Journey to Reconciliation. That's that healing moment, the moment where people can sit can talk about this history, can talk about its impact even now, today in 2021. 
uh, where people can sit. He learned about the Tulsa massacre when he was a student at a historically black university. It was the spring of 1991. Now, I'm a Ohio 20-year-old college student learning about this rich history of Greenwood had no connection to Oklahoma at all. I moved here in 1997, and it was literally shocking to know that I knew more about this history than people who were born and raised here, black and white. And at that time- He understands why there are black families here who feel this money should be going to them instead. But he wants to underline that he too is all about reparations. Do you support direct payments to these families? I do, personally, yes. Um, he believes that reparations can be more than just payments. Structure that, And there are much smarter people than I, right. myself that can say, this is how you administer that and this is how you do that. Um, but I don't necessarily think that it comes about by forcing someone or saying, you owe me this and you better pay up. It comes about by conversation, by enlightenment, by, by education, by letting people see this history for what it is. I don't have He tells me it's important for people to understand that history, even the parts that are shameful. It doesn't make me hate America. I get mad, I get angry, but it allows me to appreciate even more when somebody says the land of the free and the home of the brave makes me say, you know what? We need to make sure you live up to that. All that we are is wrapped up in the things that we're proud about and the things that are shameful. And until you tell the truth, until you're honest with your past, you can't go forward. When the History Center opens, it will tell the truth about what happened here. It will light up the entrance to this historic Black neighborhood that has seen some really dark times. It will be something special here that says to the people in this community, we will commemorate the dead and celebrate the living. Now, the new History Center won't be the answer for everyone. It won't raise the struggling Black families of Greenwood out of poverty. There is still going to be the feeling in some corners of this neighborhood that the tragedy of what took place here so long ago continues to this day. But the search goes on for the missing, still buried underneath this city. And now there are more eyes on Tulsa than ever before. To many, this is still a crime scene 100 years later. But to people like Joy McCondigy, it should also be a place where the dead are never forgotten and where the living tell this story right. Tell it right. Tell it, tell it, tell it, tell it right. Tulsa's Buried Truth is a production of ABC Audio and the ABC News Investigative Unit. Written by me, Steve Osinsami. Reported by investigative producers Tanya Simpson and Jenny Wagnon Quartz. Produced by Susie Liu and Alexandra Myers. Music and mixing by Evan Viola. 
Our executive producers are Cindy Galley, Eric Johnson, and Liz Alessi. Special thanks to Sunny Hostin, Stacia Deshishku, Josh Cohan, Jin Sol Jung, Michael Kreisel, and Rachel Katz. Audio histories provided by the Tulsa Historical Society and Museum and Kevin Ross. Some sound effects were used to recreate historical scenes. If you haven't already, subscribe to this podcast and let us know what you think with a rating and a review. We've got the exclusive view behind the table. What is happening here? It's just beautiful chaos. Every day, right after the show, while the topics are still hot, the ladies go deeper into the moments that make the view the view. To be honest, I was thinking about asking him for a foot massage, and then I I just froze. This is the best Best gig on TV. And you know anything can happen. That is what we do here. I'm not going to lie, the chair's a little small for my behind. (laughs) (laughs) The View's Behind the Table podcast. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.